Good morning, everyone. Usually the Holy Remnant is the second service, but this morning with council happening after the second service, most people are probably going to come to that. So you're blessed this morning. You are the Holy Remnant. We're glad to have you with us. Um, We're going to be continuing our sermon series, DNA, uh, living out our uniqueness and living into our call. So one of the things we've been saying about DNA is that just as DNA is the carrier of genetic information, it speaks of the essence of a person. Just like DNA is self-replicating material, um, it it reproduces itself. So what we want to flesh out in this series is to say, what is our essence? What is our core, basic, distinctive characteristics and qualities? And, And what does that look like? And then how do we keep reproducing it? One of the things that's real, real interesting, I have a, a friend of a friend who's a pastor working a lot with young people in the Midwest. And he had a line this week where he says, I wish Christians would know that the opposite of holiness is not sin. Because sin existed after, but God always existed and God's always been holy. So he says, then the natural question becomes, what is holiness? And he says, the opposite of holiness is common. The opposite of holiness is common. What does it mean to be set apart? What does it mean to be set apart to do God's work? So when we hear this word distinctive, I want us to also think about this is how God is calling us to be holy, We're not meant to look like our world. We're meant to look like our Jesus. We're not meant to to be so enslaved by sin that we think we can never be holy and live to please God. God wants to set you free of your sin because all of us are meant not to be common, but to be unique and looking like our Christ. Amen? So when we say DNA, we're saying this is our uniqueness. This is our answer to the call of holiness. This is the essence of who God's created us to be. But this is also the work we must do to reproduce how God has called us here in Harrisburg. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. I'll be reading the first 11 verses. Luke 5, 1 to 11. We'll also have it up front. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw the water's edge, two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats and one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you this morning. That you call us to be your disciples, Lord Jesus. That you call us to simply teach what you have taught us. That you call us to take into our world the message of the God who came, the God who lived, the God who died, the God who's raised again, the God who prepares heaven for us, the God who's equipped us with the Holy Spirit and with each other to make on earth as it is in heaven possible 
to make the kingdom that's within felt and experienced in our world now as heaven always comes down and to be disciples who make disciples in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So one of the things I've been thinking about this morning is how to come up with a tagline or what this sermon is going to be about. And I've just been stuck for maybe 10 years now, really, on this simple idea that we are called to be disciples who make disciples. Now, I know it's not football season, but my first idea was I was going to have one of you say, we and then the other one's going to say, we are, right? But now it's like we're in Pennsylvania, so some of you might say Penn State. Um, so we're going to skip that part, right? But I was really going to I was going to do I want us to hold on to this idea that we are, we are called to be disciples who make disciples. And my brilliant idea was we are. And I'm like, no, someone's going to say Penn State is going to mess up everything, right? Um, but if we break down that phrase, and that's where I kind of want to begin, right? We are disciples called to make disciples. We are. I'm talking about this group, this church. This body of believers, us presently, who have chosen to follow Jesus. Yes, this is a passage for all Christians. Yes, this is a passage for everyone. But I want our focus this morning to be, what does it mean that this body, that this church, that this community, that this group of believers are chosen by God to be disciples who make disciples? We must think about we when it comes to discipleship. And what, what, again, is disciples? Scott McKnight has this great line. He says, those who aren't following Jesus aren't his followers. And I love that. I love that. Because I get told every time about who Jesus' followers are and what Christians are. And I think that's a great litmus test. If they follow Jesus, they're his followers. If they don't, they're not. If you look like Jesus, you follow Jesus. If you don't look like Jesus, you look like your father the devil. And I'm not making that up. Jesus said it himself. And that must be our litmus test, right? Those who aren't following Jesus aren't his followers. It's that simple. Followers follow, and those who don't follow are not followers. So when we say we are disciples, we are saying this body, this community, this church, we as a group are followers of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? That means that those of us in this body, in this church, in this community believe that we have been saved by grace. You can't be a follower of Jesus if you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus. It's not that complicated, right? You cannot be a follower of Jesus if you have not made the decision to follow Jesus. Jesus is not interested this morning in being your guru, He's not interested in being, you know, your moral center. He's not interested in being a good idea. He's not interested in being your motivation. He's only interested in being your Lord and Savior. That's who Jesus is. And if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus, the question has to be, have you chosen to follow Jesus? And that's a twofold question. Because, yes, it calls back to the time long ago for some of us, or maybe this week or maybe this minute, when you said, Lord, I choose to follow you. But for all of us, it must be a question we ask and answer every single day. Because following Jesus is not a one-time commitment. Following Jesus is an every breath and every thought and every action commitment. So what does it mean that we're saved this morning? It means that we believe the God of the universe came into this world to show us there's more than we can see. It means the God of this universe came into this world to say, you are not regular, you are not common, you can be my holy people if you come back to me. It means the God of this universe went to Calvary's tree 
Not just to suffer, not just to die, but to redeem. We must stop giving a grace that comes so easy when it was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We must stop being a people who think the love of God is just because God is God and God loves. Yes, God is God and God loves, but God is God and God so loved that he died on the cross for our sins. And that same Jesus who died, that same Jesus who went down to the pits, the scripture says, who went into the pits of hell so that we can get a taste of heaven, that same Jesus is the one who was raised on the third day. That same Jesus is the one who's alive today, who teaches all of us that there's no sin that God cannot forgive. There's no addiction that God cannot heal. There's no darkness that God's light is not big for. There's nothing we've been through that God hasn't already healed. There's nothing we'll go through that God hasn't already healed. That same Jesus is alive today. And that same Jesus is working on heaven. And this always humbles me that God can speak the world into existence, but heaven he's working on. That God can create everything that we see, all the wonders of this world. And yes, it's a broken, fallen world, but he spoke all of that. Yet heaven is crafted for us and for all those who believe. But if we, this body, this church, this community, are going to say we're followers of Jesus, the first question is, have we given our lives to him? Have we asked him not just to forgive us of our sins, but have we said, Lord, I give you all? Because here's the thing about Jesus being Lord. It's not just what you think. It's about surrender. And that's a word we've lost in our Christianity. That's a word that we don't like because we know best. That's a world that we don't like because we like Jesus as a guru. He's really nice as an example. He's really nice as someone I'll go to on a need-to-know basis. But if Jesus is your Lord, that means you're sacrificing all of you to him. You're surrendering all of you to him. Your mind, your body, your soul, the way you think, what you believe, your hopes, your dreams. Everything must come at the feet of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a follower. And again, I ask you this morning, those who are followers of Jesus, follow Jesus. And if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, Savior. And if he's not your Lord and Savior every day, every breath, every thought, every action, every interaction, then it's easy to not be a follower of Jesus because this has to be an everyday commitment. Stop believing because you made a decision a long time ago to follow Jesus and you now have a lifetime of not following Jesus that you are a follower of Jesus. It has to be an everyday thing. So are you saved? Are you surrendered? Because if you're saved and you're surrendered, you have the same God who says, you are not common. You're sanctified. You're set apart. You're chosen by me to be disciples who go and make disciples. Because Jesus is our model. Jesus is our standard. But never forget on this trip, never forget on this journey that Jesus is about transformation. We only tell half of Jesus' saving power if we just want to get into heaven like it's an insurance, right? We only tell half of the transformation power if it's just come as you are, Jesus loves you and accepts you. Because come as you are, Jesus loves you and accepts you. But God is a God of transformation. God is interested in you looking more like him than looking like you. 
God is a God of transformation. The Holy Spirit has come to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the full gospel, not just that Jesus comes. Not just that Jesus visits you where you are. The full gospel is Jesus going down and pecking you up and pulling you up to where he desires you to be. That's the gospel of transformation. What is a follower of Jesus? It's someone who's saved, someone who's surrendered, someone who's sanctified, someone who keeps their eyes on Jesus, someone who says, on this journey, it's about my transformation to look more like my Jesus and less like the sinner I used to be. So we are disciples. We're disciples called. And never forget that this is an invitation. Never forget that Jesus has made this invitation to all those followers who want to follow him and keep following him. And he hasn't left us alone. He's gifted us the spirit the helper to come alongside of us, to be inside of us, to not only transform us, but to commission us to do his work. Remember the last words that he said to those disciples. Then Jesus came to them, we read earlier this morning, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. How many of us, if we were to answer truthfully this morning, would boil down our Christianity into this simple phrase, are you a disciple who makes disciples? We make Christianity everything that it's not. But one of the last things Jesus says is you have to be disciples of me, Jesus, who makes disciples. That is the work. That is the work for all of us. That is the work with every breath that you take. That is the work with every word that comes from your mouth. That must be the work in every action and every interaction. That must be your mindset, your worldview. That's what we have to be doing. And that sense of our Christianity has to be discipleship. A.W. Tozer said this, if I am holy to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I must forsake everything that is contrary to him. Oswald Chambers said, if I'm going to know who Jesus is, I must obey him. The majority of us don't know Jesus because we have not the remotest intention of obeying him. The work is to obey Jesus. How we obey Jesus is to accept the invitation, surrender to not only give our life to him, to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Ask God, where are you? Where are you working? How can I jump in? But to ask God, how do I go into my world and be a disciple who makes disciples? How do I go into the people I'm in contact with? Everyone from my acquaintances, which I see on the street, I say hi. To the people I feel a little bit closer that I might allow on my front porch, right? To the people I feel a little bit closer that I actually break bread with them. How do I look in all these circles of relationships around me and be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples? And I think our text this morning shows us a little bit how God expects us and wants us to do this. We read the Luke passage, but one of the things I love about this story, about Jesus calling his first disciples and saying, you will now be fisher of people, is that it appears in all four Gospels. 
And for me, that screams significance. One of the easiest things, I had a teacher in middle school one time, and she told me, she's like, when you read through your Bible, if you see things repeating, just think it's important. And it's almost 30 years later, and that's been one of the greatest truths anyone's ever told me. If it's repeating and God says it over and over again, it's got to be important. It appears in all four Gospels, which tells us that Jesus thinks this is very significant. That the people who first followed Jesus thought this was very significant. That Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all thought we ought to know what it means to follow Jesus and how the first people did it. Now, because there's four writers and there's four brains here, they all have different perspectives on it. And I think what I love the most about this story is if you look at all four together, you get some truth about what it means for discipleship. Now, first of all, Matthew and Mark are fairly identical. They're very brief in their, their depiction of this story. And their story, I think, is kind of so brief that most of us, when we think about this passage, this is what we remember about it. Most of us realize that Jesus, you know, he's walking about the shore maybe. Maybe a sea, Lake of Galilee, you know, Sea of Galilee. And he sees these fishermen, right? And he looks at them and he says, oh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, follow me. And they drop everything immediately and they go and they follow Jesus, right? And Jesus is like, I will now make you fish for people. Or in some of our old translations, like, I will make you fisher of men, right? But again, the word in the Greek is mankind, so people is a better translation. But I sang a song when I was in elementary school, I will make you fisher of men. So that's in my head too. Um, but that's our understanding of this passage. And that's our significance. And we miss a lot of what really happened in the story and what really discipleship looks like. And I think if we only use Matthew and Mark, we want discipleship to be Jesus calls us, we follow, we leave everything, done. Easy. But there's more to the story, isn't it? And that's why I think Luke and John help us. John is in John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42 specifically. And here he talks about John the Baptist. After explaining who Jesus is and the significance of Jesus, we get this guy, John the Baptist, who goes and he actually baptizes Jesus. And after he baptizes Jesus, he says, no, behold the Lamb of God. Then the next day he says it again, behold the Lamb of God. You see, what John was trying to do is he realized that he had built up a following. And even though his entire job, his entire goal was to prepare the way for Jesus, people hung on close to him. So when he finally saw Jesus, he says, no, 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 he's the one. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, what we forget in this Matthew and Mark passage was not added in here is that John not only had people who hung close to him, but they were true disciples of John. There were people who followed John first. When John kept saying, the Messiah will come, the Messiah will come, the Messiah will come, they said, okay, John, let's go. The Messiah will come, the Messiah will come, the Messiah will come. And Andrew, Andrew first followed John the Baptist. Andrew is first a believer in the Messiah coming through the word of John the Baptist. And we start learning about discipleship here. That even before we fully commit to Jesus, that it's quite possible that God will put people in our lives to point us to Jesus. Andrew first followed John the Baptist before he ever met Jesus. If you only have the Matthew and Mark version, you just thought he was out fishing. Jesus says, follow me. He says, that sounds good. Let's go. But Andrew first followed John the Baptist, and was waiting for Jesus. The second thing we learn about this is that Andrew actually spent time with Jesus. So again, it's not just they're fishing, you know, like cleaning up the nets, come follow me. After John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God, his disciples go, we know you're talking about him coming, but really that guy, like that's him? 
And John says, behold, the Lamb of God. And Andrew then takes all his, his, his connection and his love of John and his waiting for this Messiah, and he goes and spends time with Jesus. And this core component of discipleship that we must remember, it's not just that people in our lives point us to Jesus, but that all of us must interact, must sit face to face, or at least heart to heart with Jesus Christ. You cannot be a follower of Jesus if you don't spend time with Jesus. And I love that it's even before Andrew's willing to fully commit, but he says, John said it, I'll not only believe it, but first I want to rub shoulders with this Jesus and see if it's legit. Then the third thing that I love maybe the most about Andrew, because what I've realized in my life is that I, for better or for worse, I'm like Peter. You know, like everybody else is sitting in the boat and Jesus says, it's, it's, it's me. You know, and they're like, it's a ghost. And Peter's like, if that's really you, I want to walk too. That's who I relate to. You know, a whole army, I'm a pacifist, a whole army comes to take Jesus and Peter goes, I got one sword. Let's do this, right? That's more me. But I think more of us are like Andrew. I don't think all of us are as impulsive. You know, I don't want to put ADD and ADHD on Peter, but maybe, you know. I don't think all of us are like, let's just go, we're raring to go. But I think more of us are like Andrew. And what I love about Andrew is he honored the people who pointed him to Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. And when he became convinced about Jesus, he didn't just say, I'm going to go to the world. He said, I'm going to go to my world. And part of his world was his brother Simon, who would be Peter. And Andrew goes to Simon and says, Simon, I don't know how you feel about John the Baptist. I know we've been waiting for the Messiah. I found him. I have found him. Let's go and see him together. The core of discipleship must begin with acknowledging that God has put people in our lives to point us to him. It must be us saying, Lord, I want to be heart to heart with you. Not just a one-time thing, but an everyday thing. But it also must be us saying what we have learned, what we have experienced, who Jesus has revealed us to be. We may not get the whole world, but we can get our world. So who are your acquaintances? Who are the people you bump into? Who can you go and say, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done for me. A lot of times we get paralyzed and thinking we got to eat the whole elephant one bite and just stuff it all in. But maybe the focus has to be your world, your first little bite. Who are the people that you can say, this is who Jesus is. Let me bring him to you or bring you to him. That's why I've grown to love Andrew, because there is no Peter without Andrew. And I think all of us can say this this morning. We cannot have the faith we have without some Andrew, or maybe it was Anna, but without somebody who knew Jesus, pointed us to Jesus, and brought us to Jesus. So again, this story is more than I see them fishing, I call them to go fish for people. It's about relationship. It's about people being pointed to Jesus. It's about Andrew as much as it is about Peter. And then when we get to Luke, we see the whole story completed. So Peter and Andrew were fishermen. They were in business with James and John. 
Jesus is not just walking by, he's preaching. And as he's preaching, the crowd is gathering and gathering. And Jesus, because he's God, he's brilliant. He realizes the sea can ser- uh, serve as kind of an amphitheater to kind of project his voice a little bit. You know, he doesn't yell as much as I did. So he needed to project his voice. So Jesus actually gets into the boat and the people gather around the boat. And Jesus preaches from Peter's boat. And after Jesus is done preaching, he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, let's go get some fish. And you have to understand that Peter's job is a fisherman. And I love how many times Jesus takes what we think we know and still expands on it, right? This happens a lot in the scriptures. Like Jesus is like, I want you guys, I'm going to spend time with my dad. Just go into the ocean, go float away or something. And they're like, hey, we looked at the clouds and it's going to rain, you know. But Jesus said this, so we'll do it, right? But this is another one of those stories where they know fishing, They had been fishing all night. In fact, they were at the end of their shift, and Jesus is like, no, 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 let's go out into the deep. And when we say discipleship is about obedience, when we say discipleship is about obedience, when we say discipleship is about obedience, you have to surrender even the things you think you know. You have to surrender even the things you think is from God and it's holy and it's righteous. You have to surrender everything to Jesus, even if you don't know how or why. You have to surrender. And Peter surrenders. And they go out into the deep. And they throw the nets overboard. And you can see them just going through the motions and be like, sure, yes, I know. Yeah, let's do it. And they pull out such a big catch of fish that they have to scream to their partners, James and John, and they have to paddle over, maybe swim over, and they all jump in the boat, and they pull up the nets, and it fills up both boats. And they're amazed. Not only them, but everyone around them is amazed by what's happening. And then you get Jesus' statement now, right? If they thought that was amazing, he says, I will now make you fish for people. That's the full-scale discipleship. Jesus calls them. And even though everyone's startled after the fish come in, Peter sees his own sinfulness, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. You think this is amazing? You're going to do even more amazing things in my name. When I think about our DNA this morning, I think about this story as a whole. I think it's important for all of us this morning to acknowledge we cannot follow Jesus if he's not our Lord. You cannot say you're a follower of Jesus if he's not the Lord of your hopes, your dreams, your thinking, your living, your beliefs, everything that you are, everything that you hope to be. If Jesus is not your Lord... Because if he's a mere counselor or guru or life insurance, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord must be us every single day saying, Jesus is my Lord. Remember, Andrew heard about Jesus. Peter surrendered Jesus. James and John saw what Jesus did, and then they chose to follow him. Hear this morning that Jesus has come for you. Choose this morning to surrender to Jesus and in the rest of your life, go to your world and say, this is what God has done for me. Making disciples must be the essence of what we are as a body, as a church, as a congregation. All of us must be invested in this work. We don't get let off the hook 
because we said we have a pastor of discipleship. We do not get let off the hook because we have a booklet on discipleship. This is all of our work. This is all of our work. And here's the wildest thing about discipleship. All of us right now are making disciples. All of us. There's people in your life you're influencing. I pray it's for the kingdom. I pray it's for the kingdom. Because all of us have people in our lives that we're influencing and pushing a certain direction. So the question becomes, if this is all of our work, what is the part I have to play? And if you remember the story as a whole, maybe your part is like John, to just tell people about Jesus coming and to point people to Jesus. Maybe that's your work. Maybe that's your work is to just point people to Jesus, tell about Jesus coming, pray for them to come to salvation. Please come, we need you. Or maybe you're like Andrew, and your work is to hear about Jesus coming, spend time with Jesus, and then go to your world and invite them to that same Jesus you knew. Maybe you're like Andrew this morning. Please come and join the team. We need you. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're like Peter, James, and John. And you've seen God do some amazing things. You've seen God do amazing things in your life, in the life of people around you. And maybe stop being amazed by the gift and rest your eyes on the giver. Stop being amazed about the blessings that you have and share those blessings with your world and the people around you. Look to Jesus, give thanks for what he's done, and then go and tell your story. Because if we're obedient and telling people what Jesus has done, the Spirit is powerful enough to call them back. God already did the work of saving them, and you might just be a part of bringing them back into the kingdom of God. Discipleship, though, it must be known as a call to me, yes, but a journey for we. A call to me, but a journey for me, for we. Michael Spencer said this, Jesus shaped spirituality Here's Jesus say, believe and repent. But the call that resonates most closely in the heart of a disciple is, follow me. The command to follow requires that we take our daily journey in the company of other students. It demands that we be lifelong learners and that we commit to constant growth and spiritual maturity. Discipleship is a call to me, but it is a journey of we. And how we remember this is simply this. There's nothing we do to save people. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts them and calls them and even shows them who Jesus is. There's nothing you do to save people. It's Jesus who came, who lived, who died, who was raised again. There's nothing you can do to save people. It's the Father who saves us by grace through faith. It's a journey. It's a call to me. It's a journey for we. So one of the ways I hold on to this is to every single day, or sometimes every single week, I slack off sometimes, you know, but every once in a while, at least once a week, I ask myself this question, and I pray I'm going to give this to you, so you need to start asking yourself this question, is if it's a call to me but a journey for we, who am I pouring into? And who is pouring into me? Who is God using to disciple me into the image of Jesus Christ? And who am I called to pour into to show them what it means to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ? It's a call to me. It's a journey for we. The simple question is, who's pouring into you to become more like Jesus? And who are you pouring into to become more like Jesus? When I say this is the work for all of us, 
This is a question we all have to answer. It's not just about what we're doing as a church, and I love what we're doing as a church, but I am so concerned about what we're doing as individuals because this call to me must be about we, and here's the beautiful thing. We all have way more circles than we can physically as one church. We all touch way more people than we can as a collective, like this is what we're doing as a church. We all have different circles, different networks, and if we're all willing to ask this question, God, who are you calling me to pour into to make them more like you? And God, who are you calling me to submit you and submit them to you so that they can pour into me so I become more like you? It's about God calling me, but never forget the we. And I wanted to end with this. Because I think this might be the hardest part about discipleship. Discipleship has to be taking up your cross and following Jesus. Peter, Andrew, James, and John left all to follow Jesus. And if we only read the Matthew and Mark version, we're like, well, they were fishermen. It was okay. You know, like, it was Jesus. How can you not follow Jesus? But if you look a little bit deeper into the story, you realize that them being fishermen... I don't know all, I, I, I purposely don't know where you come from socioeconomically. You know, I have a range in my head, I guess, you know. But I would venture to say most of us in this church are where Peter, Andrew, James, and John were. They weren't necessarily the poorest of poor. I don't know what ideas we have of fishermen, but in that culture, they were safely middle class, maybe even upper middle class. Second thing is, this was a family business. This was a trade that you didn't necessarily go to trade school for. You went to your dad or your grandfather or your uncle, and they passed down the knowledge to you, and the expectation was you passed it to your sons and daughters so they would keep the family trade going. So when we say they gave up all to follow Jesus, you have to realize they gave up their financial security. They gave up their family legacy. They gave up everything they knew and thought was good. When we say it's got to take up your cross to follow Jesus, the question becomes, what in my life matters more than Jesus because it's time I give that up? The question becomes, what are the legacies and things I'm passing on that don't look like Jesus? It's time to give that up. And the question becomes, does the blood that flow in Calvary matter more than even the blood that flows in my veins? Am I more about Jesus and his kingdom that my family and our kingdoms that we're starting to work for on earth that might one day all burn away. Are we willing to take up that cross and follow Jesus? They left the security of financial stability. They left the security of family inheritance. They left the security of a world that they knew everything about to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means a constant submission to him. There's a pastor and rapper by the name of Trip Lee, and he has this great line. He says, here's the great rule. Embrace things that lead you closer to Jesus and reject things that lead you away from Jesus. And I love that. It's very simple, but also very hard. Embrace the things that bring you closer to Jesus. Reject things, even good things. And this is the hard part. Even good things, if they lead you away from Jesus, reject them. Because here's another thing about this cross that we have to pick up to follow Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship has this line. He says, when Jesus says, if anyone wants to become my followers, 
we must realize that even as followers of Jesus, following Jesus is not something that's self-evident even among the disciples. No one can be forced. No one can be expected to follow him. If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. Discipleship is not osmosis. Discipleship is not just this word we use and then now we're all disciples. It's work. And part of that work is surrender. And part of that work is saying, God, who do you want me to be? Not who do I want to be. Not who do I think is good. Who do you call me to be? So this morning, we're saying the essence of who we are as a church is to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples. My simple plea to you this morning is what does it mean that you've chosen to follow Jesus? I'd like to call up Steve and the worship team. We're going to sing a very familiar song to some of us who grew up in church. I have decided to follow Jesus. I'd like to call up all the intercessors. We'd love to pray for you. If there's something in the sermon that moved you or something that's going on in your life that you want us to pray for, we'd love to pray for you. But as we're singing this song this morning, and it might be familiar to some of us, so I ask you to make it a prayer for you and to answer in your own heart, what does it mean this morning that I've chosen to follow Jesus? Does this mean I made that decision years ago? Or is this a decision I'm willing to make every single day to be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciple of Jesus? And praise God, we're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the body of Christ around you. And you have Jesus who's overcome the world. Amen? Let's stand and sing together.
go with. thank you this morning that we can follow you. God, we pray for anyone in this room who's not made that decision to trust their life to you, to say, Lord, I fall short, I'm a sinner, but I thank you for your grace and I thank you for your salvation. And today I choose to follow you. God, we pray for salvation for those who don't know the pardon of their sins. And God, we pray for the rest of us too, that those of us who've chosen to follow you may have lives of submitting of surrendering, of trusting you and you alone. Lord, help us every day, every breath, every word, every action, every interaction to follow you. Holy Spirit, empower us. Harrisburg Church, let us be one together as we seek to be disciples of Jesus Christ who make disciples of Jesus Christ. In your holy and precious name, amen. Come.